0: Awesome. Thank you, worship team. Good morning, family. How you guys doing? Man, that, that sunshine. You know what I'm saying? I was making a joke earlier backstage. I'm like, we'll see who shows up. I'm like, some people might get the sun of the sky and the Son of the living God confused. And they're like, I'm going to stay home and they're enjoying a different sun. But here we are. Uh, if we haven't met, that was a stupid joke. But uh, my name's uh, Nick Mastrud, one of the pastors here. And it's always such an honor to be able to speak in this capacity. Um, I never take it lightly. Um, uh, every once in a while, when Dave needs me to preach, he'll say, reach out, and, and sometimes he'll say, we're at this point in the series of talks, and I need you to do this specific thing. But this particular moment, he goes, you can do whatever you want. Preach on anything that you want. And um, you would think that having so many options would be really, really easy, but it's really, really difficult to narrow it down. Have you ever like looked for a movie at home, you know, you end up looking for a movie longer than, than the, the actual watching of the movie. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I felt until it just struck me where I was like, this is exactly what I need to be teaching on. This is exactly what God, I, I believe that God has placed a powerful message on my heart to share with you. And it's not from a place of, man, I have a word that you need to hear. It's actually, God gave me a word that I needed to hear and I pray to God that this is just overflow of what I've received that you might be able to, to catch wind of as well. Does that sound all right? Awesome. Um, so, uh Um, I'm going to be speaking on one of Jesus' most famous stories that he ever told. Um, But before I get into the story, I kind of want to set the stage for you or kind of the background for you to understand um, who was listening to this. It it actually sheds a lot of light. Who was listening to this story that Jesus tells? And to begin, let's look at Luke 15, 1 through 2. This kind of sets the stage for us. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus but the pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them so this is what this is the setting just before jesus tells the story that we're going to look at today so what we have here are a group of sinners and saints and welcome to church <laughs> we've got that too right you have those who steal and rob, those who have um, no religious affiliation, and, and, uh, and then you have the religious people. You have the churchgoers. You have the pastors, the faithful volunteers, right? And what we see right out of the gate is that the Pharisees and the religious people had an issue. They, they were annoyed about something. They were m- muttering, as it says, like, this man. Um, there, there, there had been a, there, there's a phrase that has been coined recently, and I think it kind of encapsulates what he's talking about here. Um, these people were being crusty Christians. Have you heard that, it's, a, it, it's actually, there's a few articles online right now talking about what it means to be a crusty Christian. They were being crusty Christians. They were complaining about the people who were surrounding Jesus to hear what he had to say. <laughs> right? They, they were complaining and grumbling about the very people who needed Jesus the most, <laughs> right? The, the crusty Christians were upset about the fact that Jesus was a friend of sinners. And, and, and then you think back, man, I'm sure grateful that he is, you know, <laughs> right? Isn't that wild? I, I know there are all sorts of dynamics and layers that come into play here, but I think if we aren't careful, we can grow to be just like these religious people here, like for those of us who are familiar with church and we've been a part of church for a while, we can become crusty Christians who miss the point and have a lot to grumble about. And, and what I mean by crusty Christians is that the stories that you once heard, you know, the first time you heard that Bible story and you're like, wow, or, or the spirit that once moved where you're like, this is, I'm feeling something here, or, 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 or the moments that you once had with God, you become way less optimistic about it. You become kind of crusty about it, right? So um, to start, I want to do a quick self-assessment about how you know you've become a crusty Christian. And, and here it is. You know you're a crusty Christian when you hear what the sermon is on and your first thought is, heard that already. I, I know that story already. I bet I could tell you exactly what he's going to say, some of the main points. Come on, pastor. This is too basic for me. I've been in this church 100, 100 plus years, right? Friends, may we never outgrow the basics of Jesus' life-altering stories. May we never outgrow that. You know you've become a crusty Christian when you see a new believer on fire, right? They're maybe even a little more charismatic than we might be, and they're excited about the work that God has done. Maybe they even get baptized, and you think to yourself, that's cute. (laughs) Like, (laughs) let's, like... Like, we'll, 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 we'll check in in a few months. Like, the whole new life thing is cool, but let's talk about the whole deny yourself and carry your cross thing, right? That's when you know you've become a crusty Christian. Or, or you're quick to recognize other people's sin, and you're slow to recognize sin in yourself. You're adamant to speak out about sins that you don't struggle with, but you have a hard time recognizing the sins that you do struggle with, right? You know you've become a crusty Christian when you have more to say about your worship preference than about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Ooh, now I'm, now we're stepping on toes a little bit, but you know you've become a crusty Christian when you're more concerned about church becoming a museum of artifacts rather than a hospital for the sick. To, to be honest... I'm always quick to blame the religious people in this. Like, grow up, guys. They need Jesus too. You should be the first people to know that. But I've got to be honest. I'm not that much different. <laughs> I'm often prone to think, look at who Jesus is hanging out with. They haven't even invested anything in their relationship yet. Like, they, they aren't regular attenders. They, their lives don't reflect him whatsoever. They're actually making Christians look bad, right? They haven't invested anything like I have, and I want to talk to you today about a story we find in scripture that's very familiar to the majority of you, but my hopes are that this message would fall afresh on you today. You would get a fresh wind of the good news of the gospel. May this story, may the stories of Jesus never cease to lead us back to him. May they never cease to amaze us and blow our minds, and, and, and may we embrace his words and what they mean for our lives today. So if you're familiar with the New Testament, it often encourages us to remember our baptism. It says, remember your baptism, remember, reflect on your baptism. And I think the reason for that is because it's powerful to think back on the moment when Christ first wooed you, right? Right? Can you remember your baptism or think back when it was like this moment where you're like, I'm giving my life. Like, I don't care what it means for me. I I know it's going to, I don't care what it means for the decisions I have to make. Like, I just want Jesus and that's it. And you enter the waters of baptism. He captured your heart. And it's like the scriptures are urging us to remember the moments that you were drawn to him. It's like, it's like the wedding ring, right? When you look at this ring, remember the moment you made a covenant. Remember your vows. Remember the life-altering decision that you made. Um, what gets me most excited about today is that there's some people in this room that are not christians and that gets me excited that that hypes me up because we are looking at one of the most profound and transformative texts in all of scripture it it doesn't get more basic but it also doesn't get more profound than what we are going to look at today it's a story when when jesus is essentially saying this let me tell you about my father let me tell you about my dad let me tell you what he is all about. And friends, no one knows the Father like Jesus himself. No one knows the Father better than the Son. It's, a, it's an explanation or a story or a window of let me give you a little taste of what God is all about. And it's so easy in our world to develop misconceptions of who God is. We're, we, we all have this. We all have hurts and pains that help us paint maybe an, uh, an unrealistic um, vision or or, or idea of who God is, and and my prayer is that this would clarify any of those misconceptions. Uh, May Jesus' story shape our theology about the type of father that that we have. This morning, can we trust that Jesus knows the father better than we do? Could we trust that? Can we trust that Jesus' narrative of the father is better than the narrative that we might have of the father? A.W. Tozer says it like this, what comes to mind when a person thinks about God is the most important thing about him famous quote, right? But why does he say this? I, I, I believe he says this because what you believe about God determines how you approach him. What you believe about God determines how you approach him. Uh, like if you think that he's going to be disappointed in you, then you're going to be hesitant, right? To approach him. You ever like, oh man, God's super angry at me. Or if you think he's short-tempered and angry, you're going to approach him like delicately, timidly, maybe even superstitiously. Like if I do that, are you going to do that? If you think that he isn't all that powerful, then you're not going to waste your time on bringing bold and lofty prayers, thinking that um, writing, them off, writing him off is incompetent. Or, or if you think that he really doesn't care, then you don't want to waste your time. You, know? you don't want to waste his time or your time. What you think about God determines how you approach him. With that, let's walk through a story that Jesus tells, and let's reflect on it. We'll, we'll walk through this in chunks. Luke 15, here we go, folks. There was a man who had two sons. The, the young one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the, young, the younger son got together all he had had and set off into a distant country. And there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him to, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. First, this, this, young, this younger son asks for his inheritance early, which is essentially saying, can we get this show on the road, Pops? Like, would you die already so that I can get my share of your stuff that belongs to me? This would have been a slap to the face. In the book of Deuteronomy, it it actually talks about how this father would have legally been allowed to get his son killed for such a request. Dang. But you know what? What his father does? Instead of saying this is what the law says, you're done, son, right? He says instead of doing that, he obliges and he gives away his inheritance to his son. Next in the story, the son goes to a far-off country, he hits Sin City, and he starts doing literally God knows what, living, living this wild life, completely reckless and, and wasteful. I thought I was going to hear an amen for a second there, right? Like most of us can relate, we've been in this place, but the gist of this part is that the dude squanders his dad's money until a famine comes to the land. In when you run from the will of God, it's only a matter of time before a storm hits and you have nowhere else to turn. That's just how it is. Ask Adam and Eve. Ask Jonah. Ask Moses. Ask David. Ask the person next to you. Like, th- this son ends up having to bring himself under the authority of somebody he didn't know in a place he wasn't familiar with doing what he despised doing. He, he gets hired out, and-, and if you don't know much about being Jewish, pigs aren't that great. <laughs> Actually, they're the worst they're unclean, and this guy finds himself literally jealous of the pigs that he's feeding. Whether you're Jewish or not, you know your life isn't going well when you're jealous of pigs, right? When you look at a pig's life and you're like, dang, I want that. Yeah, it's bad. Like, you know it's bad when that looks better than your own life. So according to this story, what does the, how does the father respond to rebellion? This is probably the most unsettling point of the sermon today, but it's important to understand. How does the father respond to sin and rebellion against him? And here it is right here. When you rebel, God will let you. When you rebel, God will let you. When you run from him, he will allow you to. He's not a forceful God who demands love from his people without your decision to love him. He's a loving God who gives his kids a choice to love him back. And what we know to be true is that life and life abundant is found in him and in him alone. And, and I know for a fact that some of you have found that there is no life, there is no hope, there is no peace outside of a relationship with the Father. There just flat out is not. I, I can tell you personally that life and life abundant did not start until I finally found it in Christ. And I'm only getting a glimpse of it. Like I, I'm, I'm brand new at this. I, I barely know anything. But mark this to be true. This right here, sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll cost you more than you want to pay. This is the sobering reality of sin that this young dude found himself in, and it's where we are so prone to run as well. When when we want to rebel, God will allow us. Um, If you want a commentary on our culture, I want you to go home and read Romans 1 this week. Romans 1. Romans 1. Over and over again, Romans 1 has this phrase that says this, and God gave them over to their sin. And God gave them over to their sin. God didn't stop them and force them into submission. God gave them over. He's not a forceful God. If you think about it, you can't demand love. It has to be chosen. You cannot demand love. If you, if you think about it, um, like he's a loving God who wants you to choose love in return. And in the Christian life is a journey of learning over and over and over again that life cannot be found in possessions, experiences, progressions, or achievements, but in Christ and in him alone. And the most confusing thing about this, however, is this truth. This is what's so stinking confusing about all this. In our culture, the things people are most likely to celebrate are the things that are least likely to satisfy. I think that's why we get so disoriented in this world is because possessions, experiences, progressions, achievements are all great things, right? Praise God for your hard work and your achievements. Praise God for, for your good looks and your bank account. Praise God for your cool shoes and your fitness program. But do not be deceived. Those things will not satisfy the deepest parts of your soul. You, you, your desires are infinite, I think that's where we, we get a little confused. There, there is no end to your desires because you are an eternal being. Try to try to fulfill your desires by looking down anything. You will not be satisfied. I have good news today that it can be satisfied and it's in a person and his name is Jesus. And let, let's continue, yeah, let's continue in the story here. A boy, he's, he's feeding these pigs and, and the story continues, it says this. When he came to his senses, I pray to God we're, we come to our senses today, When he came to his senses, he said, many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I'm starving to death. Then he gets an idea. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I love that phrasing, when he came to his senses, I believe it's time for a lot of us to come to our senses. It's time for us to come face-to-face with the powerful reality that that life apart from God leads to slavery, to sin. Uh, Murray Harris, this New Testament theology professor, he puts it like this. He says one of the classic Christian paradoxes is this right here. Freedom leads to slavery, and slavery leads to freedom. Then he goes on to explain, we often think true freedom is me doing whatever I want, when I want, how I want it. It's my money, and I want it now, you know. Friends, that is not true freedom. If I did what I want, when I wanted, how I wanted, I would quickly find myself enslaved to some brutal consequences of those freedoms, which is what? No longer free, right? At some point, I'd no longer be free. I would be a slave. Like, let me walk through this practically. If I had freedom to do what I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted, for starters, I would be enslaved to paying a whole lot of speeding tickets, (laughs) a lot of them. I would be enslaved to debt from reckless spending. I'd probably have some really, really cool and really unnecessary things. I would drop the ball on friendships and leave people disappointed. I'd be enslaved to shame from decisions that would affect my marriage and purity. I would be enslaved to anxiety because I would lose my job and you all would hate me. Friends, freedom to do whatever we want leads to slavery. But don't miss this. Slavery to Christ leads to true and trustworthy freedom. Slavery to Christ leads to true freedom. Today, you can choose slavery to sin or slavery to Christ. Um, Some of you are here this morning, and let's be honest, you found yourself enslaved to sin. And I'm the first to say that I've been there and find myself there. But what once looked like freedom now looks like chains for your life. May today be the day where, like this story, you come to your senses, where you wake up to your sin and turn towards true freedom, where true life begins may this next part of the story follow fresh on you today. So Luke 15, 20. So so this young guy takes his father's money, ruins his relationship with him, squanders his money, was desperate, starts making his way back home, and here's what happens. But while he was still a long way off, to celebrate. Friends, this is the gospel. For, for this young man, the father saw him from a long way off. This isn't just a, a cool story for some random person. This is a profound story about God's response to every person in this room. I, I've got some good news for you. I've got some gospel to spread, You were a long way off having rebelled, you were timid to approach him, and here comes the father running towards you, arms open wide, and compassion in his heart. This is powerful stuff. This is hard to believe because this isn't how our world often responds to this kind of rebellion. I would expect the father to go, ha, look who it is. I can't believe you. What what's that smell? What's wrong with you? Like, what, what, what did you do? What do you want anyways? I've already given you everything. Get off my property. No, that's not the heart of God. Jesus is saying, no, don't get, don't get me wrong. Let me tell you about my Father. The heart of God towards sinners has the power to woo the hardest of hearts. It has the power to rescue the worst of sinners. Romans 5, 6, and 7 says, you see, at just the right time, when you were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, we've got to be people of compassion. We've experienced the, the greatest of all compassion. God sees you from, a, a, from afar, He sees us from afar. You smell like pigs. You squandered your father's hard-earned money, and he doesn't see you as despicable. He doesn't shame you. You don't have to approach him with timidity. You don't have to fear his response because as Jesus tells us in this story, my dad is the kind of dad that comes running towards sinning sons and daughters with a compassionate heart. God sees you from far off. God sees you. You ever feel overlooked? God sees you. If you've ever been squandering your life, let me just say, there is life on offer for you. You might be dead, but today you can walk out of this place truly alive. You might have stumbled, stumbled in this place feeling lost, but you can leave this place having been found. Turn towards him, and you will be met with a father who runs towards you in compassion. Maybe you're thinking, Nick, I have come to the father. Like, that, I, I, I've been there. Maybe... Maybe years ago, you've experienced God in this way and it changed everything. And my hopes are that you would have a refreshed vision of the gospel. This news is too good to grow crusty with. <laughs> you've come to the Father, but my invitation is for you to come to him again and again and again. It's on offer for you today just as, it, as much as it was back then. The definition of repent is literally to change directions, to turn around. When this younger son turns around, what is God's response it's too good not to take note of. So, so when you rebel, God will let you. But when you repent, God will embrace you. When you repent, when you turn around, this is the truth that changes hard hearts. When you repent, God starts throwing a party. He gives you his best. He is, he is there for you. It's so good. If you're being stubborn in your faith, it might just be that you need to be reminded that you've been, what you've been saved from. Like, remember where I was? I've been saved from that. God traded his righteousness for your sinfulness. Praise God. So in light of that truth, I have to ask you, is there anything that you need to turn from in this season of life? Is there anything keeping you from the loving embrace of the Father? Can I encourage you with the gospel this morning that while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. He died for that. Turn to him. He died for that. Turn to him. There's nothing Christ can't redeem. There's no one too far gone. Come toward the welcoming embrace of the Father who has compassion on you and he will receive you. This story is famously referred to as what? Prodigal son. prodigal son, yes. But the term prodigal, it isn't even actually in the Bible. It, it's simply a heading that was added by people. And the term prodigal means exceedingly generous or lavishly wasteful. Um, and, and Tim Keller actually has a book, and he calls this the prodigal God, He changes this story to the prodigal God, which I think is a better title for this story because, yes, this younger son was lavishly wasteful, but do you know who was more lavish? Do you know who was more generous? Who is it? The father. The father, he throws the biggest, most extravagant party for the least deserving person. The kid squanders the money, and the father goes all out for a party, right? And that's what our heavenly father is like. That's our prodigal God, lavishly, exceedingly generous. That's our lavishly, wasteful, exceedingly generous dad. He gives good gifts to his kids. And, man, I, even as I'm telling this story, I'm thinking of this royal family crew heading out. You're throwing a party. You're throwing a party for, for some kids that are in a, a bummer situation, and you get to say, come, come. I'm going to embrace you with compassion, you deserve love and care. Luke fifteen twenty five thirty two. 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music t- 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 and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, and he is found. Some of us relate more so to the older son today. Maybe you feel overlooked. Let me remind you, you can be religious and still be lost. God isn't interested in transaction. He's interested in relationship. He, he doesn't want your hands, just your hands doing his work. He wants your heart to belong to him as well. He wants time with you. He wants you. Maybe you've been in church for a long time, and today is the day that you just start seeking God for the sole purpose of seeking God, just the sole purpose of having a relationship with him, nothing more, nothing less. When, when we hear the gospel, when we hear stories like this, we are compelled to respond. When, when we experience a love like this, we can't help but bring it into the world. So there's this famous famous atheist magician. You may know the guy. I don't always quote um, atheist magicians, but this seems fitting. Um, his name is Penn Gillette, and he has this fascinating video of his explanation of those who follow Jesus. Keep in mind, he's an atheist, but he has a good point. Listen to this. He said, I've always said that I don't respect Christians who don't evangelize. I don't respect that at all. Like, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell, and people could go to hell for eternity, and you think that it's not worth telling them this because it might be socially awkward... How much do you have to hate somebody to not evangelize? (laughs) How much do you have to hate a person to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was coming, there's a certain point where I tackle you. We have something that would be crazy to keep to ourselves. It'd be insane to receive the good news of the gospel and go, all right, peace out. I'm going to the desert. No offense to the desert fathers, but it's like, let's separate from the world. This news is too good. I don't want you to stain me, right? We've got news that, we, that must be broadcasted. It must be fresh on our hearts and minds and tongues. Here's the, here's the final point. When you follow, God will send you. When you follow, it's not like just come. He goes, okay, now and now go. Jesus says, come. <laughs> come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then he says, Go. Uh, may we be people who replicate the wel- welcoming embrace of the Father. May- Romans fifteen seven. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In fact, before Jesus leaves, he gives us some instructions, some last words. May Jesus' last words become our first concern. When we come to him, may that be our first concern. My, my grandfather recently passed away, and since then, I've, I've never had more respect for last words Like those last words, I just hold on to them with the utmost honor and respect. But how much more so are the last words that Jesus shared before he departed until his final return? Let me share those last words with you. When Jesus came to them, he said, these are the Jesus followers at this time, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I'm a big deal, and I have the right to to say this. Therefore, go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We have a Father who embraces us and gives hope to the worst of sinners. We are equipped and loaded with the greatest message in all of history. May Jesus' last words become our first concern. May we not take this as food for thought but as a calling to pursue today. May we not walk out of this room having heard a cool message. May we walk out of this room with Jesus' words reverberating through our hands and feet into this world. We, in fact, serve a prodigal God. Would you stand with me and can I pray over you? God, thank you so much for this group of people, the people that showed up today, the people that are online. Um, We're so grateful for, the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus that get a, give us a glimpse of what your kingdom is like, what your father, what, what you are like, God. Um, it compels us, it woos us, it gives us no other option but to lay our guard down, to lay our chains down and say, you are worthy of my very life. You're worthy of my very being. And as we submit to your lordship, as we submit to your, your guidance in this world, I pray that as your word says here, you'll be with us always. We know that to be true, God. Help us to truly believe that. Help us to have faith in that and trust that, that you are a foundation that will not leave us unprotected. We, we, are, we are firm. We have a firm foundation when we build our lives on you, God. Help us to trust that. Um, God, help us to be people who, who replicate the gospel message through the way that we live and through the way that we speak and through the way that we embrace people. Help us to... to to take the compassion that you have received us with and and disperse that into a broken and sinful and hurting world, God. We believe that it's powerful to turn the the worst of sinners, us being the first of those. God, we love you, we give ourselves to you, and we respond by worshiping this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Amen.